Greetings and welcome to Polson Foursquare Church. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I'm happy that you've joined us today. This year of 2023, our focus is Together on Mission. In our teaching throughout this year, we will talk much about how we are all called to be a missional church and a missional people. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 are our theme verses that speak about being a people of prayer and of preparedness and how we are to go out and be witnesses to those around us in our everyday life. So today as we study God's word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and pray that you'll be blessed by our podcast teachings and that you'll be edified and enriched in God's word. Thank you and may God bless you all. All right, good morning, everybody. Happy to see all of you guys here. Um, yeah, so today, this sermon's probably going to be a little different than what I've normally done in the past. Um, and as I, was, as I was writing it this week, I just, I really felt like the Lord, I don't know, put something on my heart, which is probably a good thing when I'm, you know, preaching. <laughs> um, so today, today will be more of, more of kind of me just teaching you guys. And, and we're going to be going through Romans uh, chapter 14, 1, all the way to 15, 13. Um, and just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through that entirety. Um, but we'll be walking through it together and, and really looking at what Paul is kind of talking about in these, in these chapters. Um, so after spending the last two years kind of engulfed in study at YWAM up in Lakeside, the Lord just really refreshed my heart for his word um, and for the teaching of his word as well. Um, and I have this church body to thank for that because you guys really have poured financially and uh, poured your prayers into just this time, this last two years that I got to spend just to study his word, and I cannot thank you guys enough for that. Um, so I just want to let you all know that I am so very grateful for all of you here who have been praying for me and who gave financially to me for those two years. <laughs> and I definitely would not be standing here today if it weren't for this church body, if it weren't for my family here at Polson Foursquare. Let's not cry. <laughs> um, and the whole reason I did that was, was because I, I truly do believe that as we dive into Scripture and as we start to really understand just the culture and the time that the people were living in back there, it just opens up the Scripture so much more. And it just opens it up to, to so many more profound biblically sound interpretations of God's word to us. You don't need it to be, you don't need schooling to, to get words from the Lord through his word, but all I'm saying is that with my experience, it's just, it's been so amazing, and I want to share that with you guys, and I want to encourage you guys to dig deeper for yourselves as well. Because my heart is to stir a hunger. My heart is to stir a hunger for his word within everybody. My heart is to stir a hunger to understand the context 
in which each author of scripture is speaking into in each book. So with all that said this morning, I'm just going to take a second to pray before we get into it. Then I'm going to tell a story, and then we'll get right into the scripture. So Father, I just thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for just what you're doing in each of our lives. Father, I pray that as we just come together as a family this morning to just listen to what you have to say through your word, that we would just listen with open ears, open minds, and open hearts. We love you, and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. So while I was on my DTS outreach back in 2017, I went to Athens, Greece, and it was amazing. Like, <laughs> I was not roughing it whatsoever. <laughs> um, but during that time, I made breakfast one morning. I made bacon, eggs, some toast, and a bunch of other stuff. And one of my teammates came down and, and informed me that they couldn't actually eat pork. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you guys, you're just a vegetarian, right? And she's like, well, no. <laughs> We, uh, my family actually believes that the Lord has convicted us to abstain from pork, as it says in Leviticus um, chapter 7, which I'll just read that really quick. Uh, sorry, Leviticus 11, verse 7. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Uh, verse 8, you must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. And I remember hearing that, and I'm just like, at the moment, I'm just like, okay, cool, I'll get more bacon, whatever. <laughs> Your loss, not mine. Um, but why do, I like, why do I bring this story up? It's because their family had felt that conviction from the Lord. It's not that they were following it because they thought that as a Christian you had to do this. It's just the Lord had convicted them personally that they should abstain from eating pork, using Leviticus 11, verse 7, as the reason. It's not a matter of, it's not really a matter of salvation that they're kind of talking about. It's more about how they are choosing to walk out their Christian and the whole reason I bring this up is because I, I do believe that in Romans 14, this is kind of what Paul is talking about and talking to the believers in Rome about. I believe that he's referring to how we or how they should walk out their Christian life and how, and how they as believers can walk out and, ex and exercise their liberties and rights as believers. So with that, let's go ahead and read Romans 14, verse 1 through 4. <clears throat> Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. I'm going to stop there. Because immediately within that very first verse, three questions pop to mind. Who is the weak? And with asking who is the weak, then there's got to be someone who's strong. So now who's the weak and who's the strong that Paul's talking about? And then the last 
question is, what are these disputable matters that Paul is talking about? <clears throat> and I'll tell you, by, by diving in just a little bit deeper into this first verse, this is going to set up a better understanding to what Paul is actually going to be continuing to talk about throughout this chapter. <clears throat> but let's finish reading that, those couple of verses first. So verse 2. Oh, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man's faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? <clears throat> To his own master he will stand or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So going all the way back to the first verse, let's answer those first three questions that we kind of had in the beginning. Who are the weak, and who are the strong, and what are these disputable matters? So let's start with the weak and the strong. You kind of have three uh, three groups of people that you could choose from. One is going to be the unbelievers. The other group is going to be the Gentile believers. And the third group is going to be Jewish believers. <clears throat> and it's hard for me, I have a hard time believing that Paul is probably talking to Gentile or to uh, unbelievers, mainly because of verse 2, where it says, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Both of these men have faith. So it's really hard for me to kind of accept that Paul is maybe talking to unbelievers. And then verse 4 as well. Uh, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So it seems like both sides we have believers. So for me, looking at the strong and the weak, I think we're going to be talking about Gentile believers as the strong and weak believers as the Jewish believers, or weak as the Jewish believers. And my main argument, or I guess not argument, but main reason for believing this is, is again, historical background, looking at the history and the time that Paul is writing into when we look at Gentile believers, they're freed from the restraints of the Mosaic law. Um, keep in mind, the church in Rome was mainly run by Gentiles at this point. Um, because years earlier, uh, the emperor of Rome, Claudius, had ordered that all Jews had to leave Rome. And this can be confirmed if we look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, where Paul meets uh, Priscilla and... Uh, Ooh, Aquila, thank you. Um, <clears throat> in Italy, I think it is, or they were coming from Italy. You know what, let's just, let's just read it so I don't mess it up. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, and a native to Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, after Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so there we go. There's our evidence for 
um, that Claudius had asked the, the Jews to leave. So then it makes sense that the Gentile believers were the ones that were running the church in Rome. And this is believed to have taken place uh, between 41 and 49 AD. Um, but now let's look at the weak. Let's look at the Jewish believers, why I think this is probably them. Uh, so Romans was written between 57 to 59 AD. Um, so by this time, Jews were actually starting to trickle back into Rome. Um, after after years, the years that Claudius had kicked him out. Um, and it's, and it, it seems pretty obvious that some of them are still with, are holding to some of the Mosaic laws, um, specifically the food laws. I think it's very important here to understand that um, they don't believe that the law of Moses is a way to salvation, but they do believe that the law of Moses should be used in a way to promote uh, a, like a Christian living. Like that should be the way that they, they walk. It should be the way that they follow Jesus is by following some of these laws. So the issues that Paul seems to be writing to in chapter 14 seem to really pertain to non-essential issues. Issues that don't really, aren't really affecting uh, their, uh, their salvation. Uh, so these are kind of, these are non-doctrinal issues. These are things that don't matter for salvation. Um, because the Jewish believers knew that they were saved. They believed that Jesus died for them. And they believed that he took their sins. And they believed that he rose from the dead. They are believers. They are saved. But now let's look at these disputable matters that Paul is talking about. We read one, so the issue with food. They're having some issues with food. But in verse 5, we see another issue. Um, in verse 5, it says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So the two issues we have are essentially clean and unclean foods and sacred days, most likely pertaining to the Sabbath, but it's, it's not really clear. Um, it could be other celebrations and, and things like that as well. So those are our three questions answered. I believe the weak are going to be the Jewish believers, the strong, the Gentile believers, and then these issues are unclean foods and clean foods and sacred days. But what does Paul mean by accept those whose faith is weak? Because it can seem like Paul is kind of belittling the Jewish believers when you just take it at face value. Remember, these, these believers are returning to Rome, to the place that they actually used to probably run some of these churches. I think it's safe to say that, that these believers probably aren't baby Christians. 
They're not, you know, f- fresh out of the baptismal. They're, they've been believers for a while. So I think it's unfair to actually say that they're baby Christians. I, don't, I think it's safe to say that these believers were not baby Christians in the sense of salvation, but maybe it could be in their understanding of the freedoms that they have in Christ. Understanding the liberties and the rights that they have in Christ. Remember, Gentiles and Jews were at odds. Gentiles didn't have to follow the Mosaic Law. They were never bound by the Mosaic Law. But before Jesus, they would have to become a Jew and follow the Jewish customs, follow the Jewish law, follow all the laws of Moses if they wanted to be in the family of God. Now again, this is before Jesus, but because of Jesus, the Gentiles were brought into the fold of God. The law was fulfilled. There was no longer a reason to follow these just to be entered into God's family. So for the Gentiles, it seems pretty easy for them to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, we, can, we have these liberties. We don't have to do this. We never did it in the first place. But for the Jewish believers, their entire life, that was their entire life. Imagine believing something for your entire life, knowing that if you didn't live up to it or you didn't offer the right things to get right again, you would be eternally damned. This is what it was like for a Jewish Christian during that time. They spent their whole life following the laws to the best of their abilities, offering the correct sacrifices when they would mess up, just so that they could be right with God again. So it's got to be extremely difficult for them to even wrap their minds around the idea that they don't have to do these things anymore. But they do, but they started because they are believers. They're Jewish believers. They converted. They gave their life to Christ. They believe that he is the way to salvation. And I don't believe that Paul is using weak in the sense of inferiority, but rather in a sense of spiritual maturity. But even then, that's hard to say too, because I don't, still don't believe that Paul is belittling them because of where they're at in their walk. I believe that Paul is, is really just trying to get the Gentile believers to understand that, hey, everyone is at a different point in their walk with Christ. Romans 14.2, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The fact that Paul has to bring this up, we could probably guess that there's Gentile believers that are kind of badgering on the Jewish believers, but like, why are you guys doing this? You guys can eat whatever you want. Stop following it. It's fine. But then vice versa, too. I'm sure that the Jewish believers are also being like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> we, were, we were gone for like a couple years, and now what the heck's going on? <clears throat> 
Jewish believers followed portions of the law of Moses, not because they thought it was, it was the way to salvation, but because they believed that was how they should live out their walk as a Christ follower. And I believe what Paul is saying, again, to the Gentile believers is to receive them. Receive them as they are without badgering them. Because they were badgering them in such a way that could actually potentially make them question their faith. Again, vice versa. Sure, it was happening the other way around. <clears throat> Don't badger people to a point where they question their <clears throat> that what they're doing is not a matter of salvation, just as what the Gentile believers were doing did not affect their salvation. And again, we have to remember that Paul in this passage is not talking about major doctrinal issues, nor is he not talking about things that are not explained or talked about the Old Testament. You see, we're so extremely blessed today to be able to have the whole of Scripture at our fingertips, whether it's in a book or on our phone. And we have, we can go to Scriptures that tells us how to deal with uh, people who reject the Christian essentials. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 is one example, eight and nine. That says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accept, let him be eternally condemned. So we have scriptures that tell us how to deal with people who reject Christianity, and who are preaching things that are not, that don't line up with Scripture. Uh, we also have Scriptures to tell us how we deal with professing believers who are deliberately disobeying Scripture. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 13. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Okay. So we have, we have those things of Scripture to tell us how to handle them. <clears throat> but when we look at Romans 14.1 through 15.13 as a whole, knowing what we know now from that very first verse, and now that we've kind of understood understand what's going on in this Roman church, we can start to kind of see that Paul is actually Paul is actually wanting to see unity within the Roman church. He wants to see unity between the Gentile and the Jewish believers. And the point Paul wants to make about unity, it's not just unity of like everyone getting along, nor is it unity in the sense of discarding everything that makes them unique and different and just becoming clones of one another so they could be unified. The unity that Paul see, I think, is something much greater than that. And I believe that Paul is actually prescribing a mutual 
to the Gentile and Jewish believers as a means to bring about unity in two different areas in their church. <clears throat> Again, I want to clarify, these are not matters of salvation that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the truth of God's word either. He's, he's not talking about, these, these believers are not arguing about things like this. They are all on the same page. <clears throat> but the two things that Paul is wanting to bring unity in in this church is first the spiritual well-being of each individual member of the body, but also second, the integrity of worship that's expressed by this body. Going into the spiritual well-being of each individual member, we have freedoms. We have liberties, and we can take those. Um, and we can take those not just because of the country we live in, but because of Jesus' death on the cross as well. And just an example of just some like modern-day liberties, modern-day that we have uh, we can drink alcohol. We can, women can dress how they want. Education of children, insurance, women's head coverings, uh, contraception, use of TV, internet and electronics, music choices, Sunday school, youth camps, political views. We have freedoms and liberties. <clears throat> but Paul is worried that these Gentile believers that if they had such a disdainful or a disrespectful reaction to the Jewish believers, that it could actually trigger some of the Jewish believers to apostatize or to actually leave the faith. And Paul is essentially trying to tell the Gentile believers, he's like, hey, if you push all of this onto the Jewish group at once, it could lead to them to go into complete self-indulgence. Like, they have their own convictions. Let them believe and have their convictions. It's not bad. Paul is saying that it could lead to self-indulgence to a point of complete destruction by causing them to deny their consciences, to deny their convictions, intentionally and systematically, and thus causing them to sin against God. So let me break it down further. Romans 14, 14. <clears throat> Romans 14, 14 says, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean. By faith, Paul believes that all food is clean because of Jesus. So for Paul, if he eats food that someone believes is unclean, he's not condemned because of his faith. Now Romans 14, 14, the rest of that verse is, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now if the one who believes and is convinced that the food that Paul is eating or consuming is, he's convinced that that food is unclean, but he consumes it, then he is condemned because he's not eating by his faith, but instead is actually eating out of disobedience. <clears throat> you see, his conscience, his conviction, is that the food is unclean. So if he were to eat, he would say to himself, I have sinned. Let me put it one more way. 
I try not to order alcoholic beverages when I'm in restaurants in Polson. That is my conviction. <clears throat> That's a conviction that I have. Now, do I believe that the Bible says that ordering alcoholic beverages at restaurants is sinful? No, I don't. I don't believe that. <clears throat> However, if I ignore that conviction that I have, then I actually am walking in sin because I've ignored and disobeyed something that the Lord has convicted me of, has told me to abstain from. Not only that, but if my Christian friends or family would pressure me or push me or convince me to order beer or wine in Polson, not only would I be in sin, but they would be as well. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 14 or 13 through 16 when he's talking about making a brother stumble. Once again, these are not doctrinal issues. These are not issues on salvation. <clears throat> In Romans 14, 13 through 16, Paul uses descriptive terms like clean and good to convey the merits of these practices in the Christian life. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And I believe that the Lord gives us convictions or he asks us to abstain from things, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us as well. Now, Paul is all for Christian liberties. Christian is, or Christian, Paul is all for uh, rights and liberties that we have in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.29 10, says, <clears throat> The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours, for why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? And then Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, sent not by men nor by, or, yeah, not by, not from men nor by men, by Christ Jesus our Father who raised him from the dead. Why did I put that one in there? Good question. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just get verses in head and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's got to go in there. And I'm like, wait, why did I have that in there? <laughs> well, oh well. <laughs> but anyway, 1 Corinthians, and there, there are many others, but I did not want to just uh, put in a bunch of different verses either, because this is already a lot of stuff to go through. Um, so Paul is for Christian liberties. Um, but we also see that he holds them loosely. He's actually, he's ready to relinquish them. He's ready to let go of them for the furtherance of the gospel and for the spiritual health of the individual. Christian liberties, good in itself, is never exercised by itself. When we choose to exercise our liberties or our rights, it doesn't just affect us. 
it affects those around us as well. Romans 14, 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, let, do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. At the end of the day, Paul's command is that a truly godly believer must be wary and ever ready to demonstrate love in place of their liberties. He would relinquish, we would, uh, yeah, he would relinquish liberties when it forestalls or prevents the stumbling, falling, or destruction of a fellow believer. And in verse 19 to the end of chapter 14, Paul is encouraging them to make every effort towards mutual edification. He cautions them not to allow the work of the work that God has done in them <clears throat> to be destroyed by something as silly as what you can and cannot eat. Even going as far to say in verse 22, keep whatever they believe about food between them and God. Which then brings us into the integrity of worship, the second thing that Paul is trying to unify this body in. The unity of the body and spiritual well-being of its members, as important as it is, it still in turn it's still in turn directed towards a greater end, which is namely God's reception of an expression of worship that is marked by mutual integrity. And it seems as if in uh, chapter 14, verse 16, Paul is actually warning against careless use of liberties. <clears throat> so much so that it might result in evil speaking. He is talking about verbal revilement. People in this church are gossiping and insulting one another. Intentional over things, that the grand scheme of things, are so small. And whether it's the strong or the weak, whether it's the Gentile or the Jewish believers doing this, we don't know. It's not clear. But if it was the, if it was the Gentile believers, they are exercising and exploiting their liberties so much that it is actually causing outsiders from the church to completely turn away the gospel. If it's the weak, then it's suggested that uh, the Jewish believers are just out there gossiping, telling the world about how terrible these Gentile believers are. Both sides are wrong. But Paul's primary concern, however, is the glory of God. And when the church disintegrates into a mass of mutual violent or insults and ill will towards one another, <clears throat> it loses sight of its purpose. And the climax of this book is the glory of God. It's how the glory of, the, of God is the whole church. And as such, it doesn't come from individual voices members who maybe are out of sorts with one another. It doesn't come from the individual voices of some church members who are running roguish over the weakness of others. 
And it sure, and it surely does not come from the hollow voices of a weak man who, out of desire to fit in, actually condemns himself by what he approves. Verse 22 of chapter 14. People in this church are actually ignoring their convictions just so that they can fit in with the people. And I'm sure that we've all done something along those lines. I know I have. (laughs) There have definitely been times in my life where I have completely ignored a conviction that the Lord's given me just so that I could have a friend or just so that I could fit in. God desires to be worshipped, but he desires worship that is marked by both unity and integrity of his body. Again, these are small things, too. These aren't salvation-level differences that Paul is talking about. And I say this a lot because I think it's really easy for us to take those small differences in beliefs and turn them into salvation-level events. Whether or not you believe women can be pastors or preach, whether or not you believe in a literal or a non-literal thousand-year reign of Christ in the Revelation account, whether or not you believe in a physical rapture, at the very end of the day, none of this determines whether or not you're saved. The gospel by which we are saved is mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And there's four things he says. The gospel by which you are saved is that Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, and that Christ appeared to his followers. Paul is saying that these are the four things that we have to believe to be saved. And it's because of these four things that we have been saved, nothing less and nothing more. If you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised on the third day, and that he appeared to his followers, then you have been saved. Amen, right? Yeah. But the big question is, is how do we apply Romans 4.1 to 4.15 or to 15.13? How do we apply this to our lives? How do we use this when we, when we leave here and go out into the world? Looking at this passage overall, in short, we can see that Paul points out a few things. He points out a few things that is the responsibility of all believers. He says, do whatever is necessary to keep your brother from either sinning or intentionally sinning. He says uh, that this passage calls into principle the restrictions of personal rights, whether real or perceived. Paul wants believers in Rome to pursue peace with one another. He wants them to seek to please one another. Paul is not calling the Jewish Christians to lighten up. He is actually calling the Gentile believers to tighten up. To tighten up for the sake of peace and unity. Because ultimately, the Gentile believers might be facing some annoyance with the Jewish believers, but Paul is far more concerned for the Jewish believers who are being 
pressured to start doing things that they believe are wrong. And I'm sure that we have all had people in our lives that we don't necessarily agree with on something. This is very quiet, so. (laughs) Maybe someone just popped in your head. Someone had popped in mine. (laughs) And I think something we as believers have to realize is that everyone's story is different. I think that's something that can help. Not everyone is at the same point in their walk. Even those of you that are married, you and your spouses aren't at the same exact point in your walk. I love hiking. And last year, I got to do a lot of hiking with uh, my little sister, Chloe, in the back. Everybody love No, oh, oh no. <laughs> Some of my favorite moments while hiking was, even though we were on the same path, we would always face different obstacles. Whether it be a root that I missed that she tripped over or rock that she missed and I tripped over. Like, we were always on the same path, but we always faced different obstacles at different times. And even when we're walking, we were walking side by side, you still had different obstacles. Even though we're all on the same path that leads to Jesus, all of our walks are going to look different. All of our obstacles are going to look different. All of us are going to be at different points in our walk with Christ, but we're still all on the same path. Our gear that we bring is going to be different. Some of us are going to have hiking boots. Some of us are going to probably wear flip-flops or sneakers. Some people go barefoot. I have seen that. It's so crazy. (laughs) Up in the mountains, and this, this person comes walking through just barefoot. I'm like, what the heck? It's like it's a four-hour trek to get up here. Where are your shoes? (laughs) Some people are going to have trekking poles, and some people are going to have walking sticks, and some people might not have anything. The food we pack is going to be different. Some people are going to not pack any food, which I think is crazy. Uh, Some people are going to pack light snacks. Some people are going to pack whole meals. And still others are going to pack vegetables or dried fruits or different kinds of, you know, tree nuts and all this other stuff. (laughs) The point is, is that there is going to be a lot of variety in people and what people are doing, wearing, or bringing with them on this walk to Jesus. But the point is, is that we're all on the same path. And everyone will experience it differently. And as believers, can't we just simply celebrate our differences? Can't we just simply celebrate that we're all on the same exact path, walking towards Jesus together? Romans 15.1 We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not, and not please ourselves. Instead of judging our brothers and sisters for where they are, what they brought, 
what obstacles they're facing, let's stand with them. When they fall down, let's stand with them and help them up and then walk with them. Instead of nitpicking at their choice in music, how frequently they swear, their political views, I mean, it's crazy to me that we have Republican and Democratic churches. This is why millennials and Gen Zs are leaving the church, is because we're arguing over tiny things that don't matter to our salvation. It seems that the church is saying, we must be a united body, and the church has come together, but then there seems to be such an aversion to accepting those who might not believe or see eye to eye on things that have no correlation with our salvation. And it seems that we are actually saying we must be a united body, but only if you follow this political party, listen to this type of music, or use no foul language. Romans 14.22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who is not condemned, who does not condemn himself by what he approves. The past to principle the restrictions of personal rights, whether real or perceived. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For those of us that may be a little stricter on our beliefs or our own convictions, I do believe that we are guilty of trying to be, trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit in some people's lives. I believe we're, <clears throat> I believe the question is, is are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to surrender our thoughts about the music people should listen to? Are we willing to surrender our thoughts on the language people use? Are we willing to be okay with the political party choice, even if it's not our personal choice, and to let the Holy Spirit do the work within people around us? Are we willing to give up those arguments just for the sake of unity, trusting that the timing and the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of others will happen? Are we willing to allow him to break down our religion? Romans 14.10, you then, why do you judge your brothers? Or why do you look down on your brothers? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For those of us that are maybe a little looser in our beliefs, our convictions, Paul calls us to tighten up, to actually walk out the things that the Spirit convicts us of to actually walk out a godly life. So yeah, maybe that does mean changing your music. Maybe that does mean watching your language. Maybe that does mean that you are way more intentional with politics than you ever wanted to be. I think that's mine. <laughs> because I promise you, the Bible does have a lot to say about politics. Are we willing to allow him to shake up our traditions, to shake up the ways that we are living, to shape up, shake up the ways that we think? Hebrews 5, 
uh, 12 through 14 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who can, can who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I believe that all of us have these areas in our lives. I believe we all have areas where we maybe just need to let the Holy Spirit work on that person. But I also believe we all have areas in our lives where we need to tighten up more personally. <clears throat> Are we willing to give up our desires? Are we willing to give up our wants, our freedoms, the ways that we saw our lives going? There is only one answer to that question, I believe, and I think it's in Luke 22, verse 41 and 44. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. <clears throat> Andrew, do you guys want to come up and... I'll have you guys play that chorus and bridge. I think it's extremely important here to recognize that Jesus did not want to die. Jesus didn't want to go to that cross. But he chose to deny himself. He, he chose to deny what he wanted. He chose to deny what he believed was right. right. Jesus gave himself to the Father. Jesus gave himself completely as a sacrifice just so that we could have complete and total access to God just as he did. And I believe that when we look at relinquishing our liberties, we, we look relinquishing and letting go of our, of our wants and our desires, our liberty, rights, when we look at it through that perspective, through the perspective of Jesus denying himself and going to the cross and choosing to die for each and every single one of us, it makes everything else seem so insignificant. Paul is talking to a church of believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. And I think I just have to ask ourselves, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want, what argument do you want me to, to abstain from? How do you want me to love this person who maybe I don't see eye to eye with right now? Because ultimately, 
That is what I believe Paul is talking about in Romans 14 uh, through 15, 13, is are we willing to let go of everything for the sake of love? Are we willing to let go of everything for the sake of unity within our body? I'm not saying that we become like the culture outside of the church. It's not what I'm saying at all. <clears throat> what I'm saying is that our culture within the church should be one of accepting everyone who is on this path. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in the people. And if you get to be a part of that, then that is awesome. If you get to disciple somebody and you get the authority to speak into their lives, do it. Because it is awesome. So Father, I just thank you for your word. Father, I pray this week as we as we just we leave from here that we would just be attentive to your spirit. Father, that we would follow through on our convictions. Father, that we wouldn't just push our convictions on others either. That we would be willing to love people where they're at. And Father, that if we have the authority to speak in their life, that we would do that as well. Father, I pray that for those of us that are maybe looser on our convictions, that we would just tighten up a little bit more. That we would seek you that we would ask you what you want us to do. Even if that means changing things that we don't necessarily want to. I pray that you would give us the strength to do that. Father, I just feel like it's fitting to end with just some worship because at the end of the day, we just want to give glory to you. At the end of the day, we just want to praise you and thank you that we even get the opportunity to be here. That we get the opportunity to worship you. Father, that your son paid the ultimate price for us. In your name, amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.